you have your Bibles, let's hold them up. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to reach behind you or in front of you and give somebody a hug. Just do that real quick, would you? Because <laughs> you're always hugging the people on either side of you. You don't ever get them up behind you, you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. If nobody's behind you, just hug the air. That'd be all right, too. All right. Is it warm in here? No. How many are pleasant? Raise your hand. How many are unpleasant? Uh, you just got outnumbered. Okay. <clears throat> Can somebody put a fan on me? No, I'm just teasing. <clears throat> it's funny when you fire up that heater, how it affects your sinuses and everything else, isn't it? <sighs> I need to get some humidity in our house, I guess. What's up with that? Today, we were going to tackle a subject that will more than likely ruffle a few feathers. I want to state up front, my intention is not to judge or to preclude or anything like that. I simply am going to share with you what the Bible teaches about this subject. Because when we learn, then we become responsible for what we've learned. Amen? And until we are taught, we don't really know. And that's what I've discovered about this idea of baptism. It is an emotional subject, but why is it emotional? Because the Word of God isn't foggy about the topic or about the subject in any way. There's no really big mystery here. But we have, even in this room this morning, folks that, for whatever reason, have been taught different things, different stuff that relates to baptism. And so I would ask that question again. What's up with that? Uh, I was going to title the series... Come on, man. But I decided to say, what's up with that? But we are a church that's serious about the teaching on baptism. And, and I want to be careful. I don't. Again, I want to tell you, I'm not here uh, trying to judge in any way. I just simply want to share some information with you. And then uh, you'll, you'll have something to work with from there. We are committed to practicing the rite of baptism here in our church for two reasons. Number one, Jesus did it. And number two, he commanded us and told us to do it. Those are the two main reasons that we focus on baptism. Jesus did it, and he told us to do it. And of the reasons I'm going to tell you this morning that you should be immersed, none of them are as important as Jesus did it, and Jesus told us to do it. So, here's another case where Jesus never asked us to do anything that has no meaning or purpose. And He never asked us to do something that He wasn't willing to do first. I ran across this quote in my study that just really gripped me. It says, To enter the waters of baptism is to plunge into the wonder of the gospel. That is an awesome quote. 
But I want to share with you a simple message today. And my message, hopefully, will cause you to consider where you are. Perhaps you've been immersed. Perhaps you haven't been immersed. I just want to give you scripture. Let's deal with it. And what ought to be happening once we've done that. That's what's important. So I want to, I want to share three thoughts about it. Number one, baptism is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. The way I know that is what we find in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. For what I received I passed on to you as of what? First importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the first principle. That's the first importance is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you say amen to that? Very good. Now the devil could tolerate just about anything and even everything that goes on in church, including my preaching today. (laughs) But what he can't tolerate, and he hopes we never mention, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because that formula gives us hope. That formula of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus then gives us a faith to cling to, to hope from. Because if He rose, He promised if you connect with Him, we're going to sit a little bit, you're going to rise also. And that's exciting. It's a promise. Don't forget, He did it. And He told us to do it. The practice of baptism will not allow us to forget what the gospel is. And when somebody says, what is the gospel? What is the good news? You need to simply answer them. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Right there in that one statement. And the practice of baptism helps us keep that in mind. Because that is an acted out sermon. Now, I don't know about you, but I like, I'm, I'm a very visually driven person. And so more than I would like to hear a message, I want to see a message. I love to see it done. I love to watch it happen. Friday night, I was getting a little squeamish when Bixby drove down and scored the first time. And we couldn't score. I thought, what in the world? Don't tell me that first round playoffs things jumped up on us again. And then all of a sudden, number 28 bust through the line, jumped over nine people. No, I don't know. I mean, but anyway, once he took off, I thought, they ain't catching him. And they don't catch him. It's absolutely amazing to watch. But you know, it's the same thing about our Christianity. People would much rather see us in action than they would hear us in action. Now let's take a look at this in Romans chapter 6. We read it all the time, but I want to spend a little bit here with you. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His what? We were therefore what? With Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was... From the dead, through the glory of the Father, what we too may live a... There you go. So you see the essence of how baptism connects us to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's an awesome picture. 
And there's a sense that you are turning the past over to the Lord and inviting Him to come into your life and make a fresh start and clean house, so to speak. But don't misunderstand. There is absolutely nothing holy about the water that's right there under that screen. That's where we do our baptisms. There's, not no, there's nothing holy about it. In fact, we've ordered a new baptistry because this one we can't keep clean anyway. And if any of you have been in there lately, you know what I've been talking about. But we're going to get a brand new one. Well, guess what? We're going to have to treat the new one. We're going to have to put chemicals in the new one to keep the water clean, you see. But it'll have a filtration system that this one doesn't have. And, you know, that from a practical standpoint, that's awesome. But it doesn't matter because we're going to fill it with Jinx water. Well, I guess it's Tulsa water that we buy to bring in here. So the water, there's nothing another special about that water. What's special and what's awesome is what happens to the person in the water. Because it doesn't necessarily clean you from the outside, but cleans you from the inside. And that's what's important to remember. Okay? Baptism offers that cleansing from the inside out. Colossians chapter 2 says this, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. There's that word buried again. Is that significant that we talk about burial in two different places? Well, I think so, because the Greek word for baptism is the Greek word baptizo. What the translators did is transliterate the word baptizo into English and call it baptism. And that means, the word baptizo means to immerse. Means to immerse. Again, depending on your church background, you may have seen baptisms done in varieties of ways. Many faith traditions sprinkle people while a few even pour water over the person. But those forms weren't used until sometime after the early church had been established. I've read that one of the first times sprinkling was done was when a man was on his deathbed and he couldn't be immersed, so they sprinkled water on him. But here's the problem. Instead of dying, he got better. So a controversy arose. Was that sprinkling okay or do we need now to immerse him? And that really stirred the folks up. It seems that sometime around 300 A.D. began sprinkling for baptism beyond deathbed situations. In fact, gradually, the Roman Catholic Church began sprinkling and then centuries later, in 1311, a council met to discuss and debate spiritual issues, the church or the Bible. That controversy is still going on today in some of our mainline denominational churches. Are we going to listen to the Bible or are we going to listen to what the church says? Well, the church will say, well, the Bible's old, it's antique, it's, 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 out, it's archaic, it's, out, it's outdated. <laughs> I'm sorry, His Word never returns void, He said. So we need, to, we need to focus on the Word or what the church says. Hopefully, both of them are saying the same thing. Amen? That's what our prayer is. So who wins in that kind of discussion of issue? Well, we know who should win, the Bible. But it's un- because it is unchangeable, immutable, and inspired by God. But church politics... <laughs> And highly influential people and popular individuals won the debate. And so the practice of sprinkling entered the Catholic Church. Prior to this time, but it was never even a question. People were immersed when they made a confession of faith to Christ. 
Other churches followed suit in the centuries to come, and most of uh, most all Bible-believing or evangelical churches choose to immerse an individual when they baptize. And the reason being, whenever you read the command to be baptized, Jesus or any of the apostles anywhere in the Bible, it always is done in the same way by putting a person underwater. In fact, the word that we use to translate baptize actually means to dip, to plunge, to put underneath, to immerse. That's what it means. And that's why you will hear the words used interchangeably, baptism or, and immersion, or baptism or immersion. Baptizo comes from the uh, root word bapto. It's a, and I love this. It comes from, from that root word bapto, and it was a term used in the first century for immersing a garment first into bleach and then into dye, both cleansing and changing the color of the cloth. Now, is that not a great picture? Because we go into the water, what? A dirty sinner. And we're to come out of the water in a new life. I wish this outside changed too. So when I came up, I would be 25 again, good knees, <laughs> and not overweight. God, if you could just work that out as I go down and come back up, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? But what changed was inside. That's where the change should be taking place. And so the Romans 6 passage de describes it as we're buried with him in baptism. And we need to understand the Greek that the New Testament was originally written in to understand that baptisms were always performed by immersion. Just look at the account in English of the Ethiopian man in, uh, that Philip baptized in Acts chapter 8. There we see the Bible saying he went down into the water and came up out of it. Or the Bible speaks of John the Baptist baptizing in the river Jordan in John 3, 23, where it says, because there was a lot of water. Or how about Matthew 3, 16, when Jesus, at, when Jesus was being baptized, it says he came up out of the water. So the problem is baptism is a physical picture and sprinkling doesn't fit the picture. So as a church, we follow the literal meaning of the word and we immerse people because that's what Jesus told us to do. And remember, it is symbolizing the death, burial, and resurrection. And we see that every time somebody's immersed. When I, when I go through and teach people about immersion, I always ask them, when do you want to do this? Because I really want to see what their heart says, if they're really serious about it. Now, oftentimes they'll say, well, can we wait till Sunday? I'll say, you bet. I've had some say, can I go right now? I said, absolutely. And we go right then. Water's a lot colder. And you always remember it better. <laughs> but it's important to follow through after that heart is convicted and you're ready to make that commitment and change. Because that's really what it is. So as a church, it would be a lot easier if we just sprinkled or we just poured water. There's a bigger risk involved, but it, it is more convenient. And baptism immersion is a little bit tougher and, and less uh, uh, humbling. There's, uh, the beautiful hair that you came in with is now stringy and wet and hanging down. Maybe some of the mascara washed off, I'm not sure. But, you know, people have a lot of reasons why they don't want to go. And especially in front of people. I'm one of those. I'm one of those. When the preacher came and talked to me about baptism, I understood I was under conviction. I needed to do something about it. 
And he said, well, then how about Sunday morning? I said, no, 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 no. He said, why not? I said, well, I don't do that kind of stuff in front of people. There ain't no way. Hello. <laughs> I'm living proof that, yeah, it's okay to do it in front of people. Because I'm telling you, God will change you from the inside out. And you might be asking, and, you're, and you might be asking a tremendous question. Here it is. Well, what about my mom or my dad or, or my brothers or sisters who, who, who go to another church or my relatives who passed away and they were sprinkled? They never heard, they've never, ever heard this message. We are never accountable for what we don't know. Amen? That's why we don't give children keys to a car. Oh, when they're 16, they think they know. Amen? How many of you took your kids out and drove with them? And you lived to tell about it, didn't you? <laughs> Barely. Barely. I remember one of ours got a standard shift pickup. And he goes, Dad, is this hard to drive? I said, not really. Well, it took a little while for him to get that, that rhythm down of letting off the clutch and pushing on the gas feed, you know. We did a lot of this stuff like this, you know. But, boy, he eventually got it. He didn't need me anymore. But you know, that's, we've got to teach him. If I just gave him the keys to figure it out, he probably would have and would have had to replace the transmission. But, you know, that's okay. <clears throat> trying to grind those gears. So we're not accountable for what we don't know. And so if you have relatives that, uh, you know, would say, wow, why, why are you doing that? Maybe they never heard the teaching or no one's ever sat down and took them through the Scripture and showed them. Because it is a tremendous question. Let me try to also answer it this way. Your family owns a butcher shop. And your dad starts it and he has a great reputation in the community. But when he turns 65, he retires and he turns it over to you. So you paint the place, you spruce it up, make it a little bit different. And you looked over at the uh, scales in which he weighed the meat and you think, I wonder if dad's ever calibrated those scales all the time he's on the butcher shop. And lo and behold, you have, uh, you have somebody come in to do that and they find out it's an ounce off. So what, what the reality was, your dad was selling, uh, getting the customer to pay for 16 ounces of meat, but only getting 15. Because the way that worked is, dad was being dis dishonest, wasn't he? Well, not really. Because dad didn't know that the scale was off. But if the son would have left the scales at the same position, he would have been guilty. Why? He knew more. <laughs> he knew more. Okay? So baptism is a symbol. And symbols have always been important to God. He gave us a rainbow in order to remember that He would never destroy the earth by water again. That's what He said. He instituted communion as a reminder for us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a symbol. And they're very important to Him. I think that's why often... When Jesus healed somebody, He would give them something to do in order to express their faith. For instance, He would say, Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Or stretch forth your withered hand. Or go show yourself to the priest and you will be cleansed. You see, it was a physical picture of their healing. He wanted people to see that they were healed. He could have healed those people immediately. No action on His part. But He often asked for a response of faith for their benefit. 
He gave them an opportunity to do something for their need, to have an expression of faith. And when your heart is melted by God's love and you want to receive His grace, He has provided baptism as a means of expressing your faith. So baptism is a, is, is a beautiful physical picture of a spiritual reality. All other religions teach what a person must do. The essence of Christianity is what Jesus did. The good news is not that we can learn how to get it right, but that Jesus got it right for us. Baptism is an active participation in the actual moment where Christ conquered sin and death. So when you are immersed, you in essence are bringing such a smile to the face of our Heavenly Father as He watches you go through the same process. The old man dying and the new man rising. In fact, the the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner comes to repentance. How about that? I was watching a skit one time of two, two guys that do that. And uh, they, they were sitting at a table, and there's a phone, phone rings, and one of them picks it up, and he goes, is that right? It happened right now? Man, this is Thursday afternoon at 3.30. He goes, I, okay, hey, man, that's awesome. Thanks. And he hangs up. He goes, well, Harvey came. And the other angel sitting o- over on the other side of the stage, he goes, awesome. So he bends down under the table, he pulls out a box, and he goes over closer to the other guy, and they start grabbing stuff out of their party favors and, and stuff like that. And they start running through the auditorium screaming, He's saved! He's saved! He's saved! And throwing stuff out in the audience and all that stuff. Because I don't know if that's what they do up there, but the angels rejoice, the Bible says. And so we need to be about, about that business in our life. Because in the New Testament, when a person was baptized, it was because they were accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior in their life. It was an expression of commitment. It's that moment when you publicly associate with Jesus and you're willing to say, I'm proud of my faith, not ashamed to be known as a Christ follower. And it's no wonder the early church was all about baptism. It's no wonder the New Testament never even considers the notion of an unbaptized Christian. Why would any believer not want to participate in what Jesus did? Every time you see a baptism, it is a dramatic reminder of what separates Jesus from every world religion. Our leader didn't stay dead. He didn't stay buried. He conquered the grave. And that is our hope. That's the bedrock of our faith. And baptism is a physical picture that signifies a spiritual transition is taking place. You are saying to the world that you want to unite with Christ and be on His team. And I love the way Paul described it in Galatians 3, 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. So the language is clear, and it's intentional that baptism is to be a significant, memorable benchmark in our lives. I've been married for 33 years, and occasionally I'll go get the wedding album out off the shelf and just kind of flip through the pages. Boy, I looked good back then. (laughs) I actually had hair that wasn't falling out, knees that worked. It was awesome. My little bride, she was, ooh, my goodness. I know why I snapped that one from the tree right here. But if I didn't have those pictures to remind me, one of my favorite pictures in there is when she was getting ready to throw the bouquet over her shoulder like this. The four bridesmaids were behind her with baseball gloves on doing this. It was awesome because they were ready to catch it. Just just every, every picture brings back a quick memory, doesn't it? That's why you keep them. Why do you have baby books with all their baby stuff in it? So you can go back and remember. And those are precious times, aren't they? 
And we do it every time our kids graduate. We show some of those pictures. And I know you as the parents, when you watch those, you're sitting back there tearing up because, wow, where'd the time go? Where'd it go? It's a memorable thing. And that's what baptism is. It's a memorable thing. So baptism is a physical picture. Number two, baptism is a spiritual experience. There are many schools of thought here. Many evangelicals, absolutely nothing happens uh, at baptism in those churches. They may not say it that way, but they sure do teach it that way. The early Christians thought it was more. Look, listen to this, what, happened, what Paul says in Colossians 2. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him you were raised to a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. What an amazing thing happens at baptism. You are fully engaged and you have a full body sensory of all that goes on. Here's the verse that started the first century church. Acts 2 and verse 38. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The New Testament says something actually happens at baptism. And it ought to be evident. It ought to be showing up. The problem is, is that we keep dragging along these old habits that we haven't unhitched. We keep dragging them along. But at baptism, those, those were pitched aside. We just kind of went through life and found them again, hooked them on again, didn't we? So we can drag them along with us. We need to let it go. Galatians 3 also says, You were all baptized into Christ and you were all clothed with Christ. This means that you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The emphasis in the New Testament is not on God commanding us to do something, but on God promising to do something for us. Consider how passive one is in baptism. It is not something a person does as much as something a person has done to them and for them. You know, we might just say, well, I'll just bend, bend my knees and let me do all the rest. <laughs> That's not what God's saying. Martin Luther said it this way. Yes, it is true that our works are of no use for salvation. Baptism, however, is not our work, but God's. That's powerful. Baptism is a plunge of faith into the power and the promise of God. On January 31st, 1970, 1030 on a Saturday morning. I've never forgotten that date, that time. I won't forget it unless I, unless I get some disease that caused me to lose my memory. And that may be creeping up on me faster than I think. But I want to always remember that time and that date. And after 55 years of living, I'm still trying to unpack what happened that morning. But I know one thing. Where I was going changed to go another place that's what i know baptism a physical picture it's a spiritual experience and then thirdly baptism is our common identity look at ephesians 4 there is one body one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all baptism is a way of declaring publicly that the person being baptized is now welcome into the community of faith. Based on the grace and the love of God, they are part of us. And, and, and I want to make something very clear. It is a core value of this church. Baptism by immersion. We accept everybody. And, and that's one of the things that we've tried to do graciously and as openly as we can. We accept everybody to come to this church. I have people teaching in rotations that aren't members of the church, but who come because they have a desire to serve God. Let's put them to work, amen? Let's give them a spot so that they can feel a part of the body of Christ. And then we can, through teaching and whatever, work through the rest of it. But I must say very 
clearly and lovingly that obedience in Christian baptism is something sometimes it's missing in some people's lives. And there's really only so far that common ground can go among believers. And to be complete in Christ and in the body, it's the point of surrender that needs to happen. Baptism is a wonderful bridge for conversions. Let me give you a couple of examples. Jane Harkey and her husband, Dale, attended our church several years ago. Jane was raised in the Presbyterian church. I mean, she was Presbyterian with a P. You could talk to her about faith. It always came back to the Presbyterians. The Presbyterians would say, the Presbyterians would say, and so forth. Her mother-in-law, we have a, a packet that we give out with uh, information in it, and one of the booklets was on New Testament baptism. So she handed that to her daughter-in-law and just said, hey, thumb through this, read some things if you like. The next Sunday, Jane said, can you come by this week? I want to talk to you about baptism. Well, I knew about her Presbyterian background. So, listen, I was armed, man. I had verses. I, had, I was loaded. I was loaded. I came in with my family Bible. You know what I'm saying? That big old thing. I'm going I'm to hammer her. So I walk in. I sit down, and she looks at me. First thing she says is, I haven't been baptized like the Bible teaches. I said, wait a minute, Jane. I brought all this arsenal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hammer you here. My attitude was wrong, wasn't it? My spirit was wrong. Because what Jane did is that she opened the Bible, in the little pamphlet, she read the scriptures that were in that little pamphlet, and she concluded in her own life, because she read it from the Bible, that she needed to do it by immersion. The next Sunday we did, and, and off they go. They, they got shipped to Texas with a job transfer and what have you, but I never will forget, I asked her, I said, Jane, how are you feeling? Up in the, ba- up in the baptistry, I said, Jane, how are you feeling? She goes, complete. That's all she said. And she got out, went on her way. Jerry McGrath. Jerry and Dolly McGrath were attending here. And uh, they had retired. And they were ready to move to Branson. And Jerry was raised uh, Catholic. And Dolly had been praying for him for over 30 years. That he would come to the Lord. And one day on a Sunday afternoon, they're driving home from church. And they're down on South Peoria Elm. And I get a call from Dolly. She goes, Brother Harold, is the baptistry heated up? I said, well, probably not. She said, well, we need, to, we need to use it for a baptism. And I said, really, whose? She said, Jerry. Well, my phone hit the floor because I thought, wow. But Jerry, through studying Scripture, said to his wife, Dolly, I need to be baptized. And so they came back. I met them back here at the church. We got in the water. In fact, I didn't get in the water. I had her do the baptism because I thought it was such a special moment for them as a couple to go through. And it was awesome. Awesome. And, and you will not find anybody more dedicated than those two people to the Lord. And Jerry, from that day on, he was always a cheerful person, but there was just something about his step that was different. And so, you know, I give you those two examples because it can really be great completions in your life. Somebody asked me uh, not too long ago, do we baptize children? And I simply said, yes, we do, as long as they understand that they need Jesus as their Savior and accept Him to be their Lord. Because, and, and when we baptize children, we do it by immersion. But we want them to be aware. We have a, I have a pamphlet. If your child is asking you about that, I have a study I want to give you. And if you will take your child through that study, it not only helps them, it helps you too. But if you'll take them through that and just look at the Scripture that's there, read the Scripture and answer the question, 
you'll, you'll, you'll know if their heart's right. I also will hand them the pamphlet, and if they really aren't interested in doing the study, that tells you that they're not really ready. So don't rush it. Don't rush it. Because when they make this decision, it's the most important decision they'll ever make in their whole life. And so many of them do it as a mass group. You know, my friends do it, so I've got to do it. My friends do it, and I've got to do it. And we tend to do it that way when God really wants us to be careful, take time, because we want them to be effective when they're 20 and 30, not coming back going, boy, at 16, going, man, I've really messed up. I need to be baptized again. You see. So we need to make sure they're ready. 8 to 10, up to 12, that's really a great time. I, I hope that uh, I would love to just baptize kids at 10 years old and up. But if we don't get them before their teenage years, the percentages drop greatly that we'll ever get them. And one tragic thing about this topic is that many people believe that they're just not qualified for baptism. They somehow have it in their head that they have to be a certain spiritual level or that they need to wait for the perfect moment. Uh, you know, I don't understand apologetics. Uh, I can't even talk about apocrypha. Uh, you know, I, what is all this stuff? I, I, man, when, he, when he's teaching, it's so far over my head, I don't even know. <laughs> I thought Job was Job and Psalms was Palms. I don't know what we're doing here. No, you don't have to wait. That's the good news. Because God will accept you with your conversion in your heart. He knows if it's real. He knows if it's real. Somebody asked me one time, said, well, I was sprinkled when I was younger. Isn't that okay? I said, well, what got you to that point? Well, I went through these classes and I learned that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So I went, you know, when we go through everything about that, they, they learned just what I learned. But then they were told that the sprinkling is okay. And so then when we go into the Scripture, they say, I didn't get that. <laughs> okay, now you've got a little more information. If, if, you, if you come down with an illness, since I've had diabetes, I've had to learn about what to eat, why I eat it, when I eat it, and how much I eat of it. I haven't been too good on that, but, I, but I'm getting there. I'm learning a lot. <laughs> you see, you've got to make changes in your life in order to survive. And so it is with this. So I was telling the person who was talking to me about that and had been sprinkled, they said, they said well, you know, I, I think I'm just going to go with what I have. I said, well, that's, that's your choice to make. Your choice to make. Because I can still love them. Amen? I can still use them. And, and praise God. If they want to serve, serve God, let's do it. But one of the requirements that we have as a church here, in this New Testament church that we are, is that we use immersion by baptism as our connecting point in membership to the church. But baptism is a, is a biblical thing. It is normal to Christians in the Scriptures. We require anyone who wants to be a member here to be immersed. Now, if you've been immersed somewhere else, that's fine. That's fine. You just come and plug into the fellowship. You don't have to do it several times because you're really just being baptized in the body of Christ. Amen? That's what you're being baptized into, not the church. The body of Christ. And that's really important to do and to know that. It's really important. Uh, my friend, uh, Steve Palmer was the pastor at the First Methodist Church in Kenmundy, Illinois, when I was preaching there at the Christian Church. And he was, an, he was an awesome guy, Steve was. About twice a year he would call and they would use Sunday afternoon to use the baptistry we had at the church. And so I asked Steve when he first called, I said, Steve, what do you want to use our baptistry for? He said, well, we don't have one. I said, we mean don't have one. He said, well, we're a Methodist Church. We don't have one. We just sprinkle people. He said, but however, I've understood in Scripture from my own life that I need to be immersed. And so how he presents that to the church is he stands up and says, if you want to be sprinkled, I'm a Methodist, I'm paid by the Methodist denomination, I will do that. But if you want to do it the way Jesus teaches and the way God wants it done, you'll be immersed. 
And so he would have people just come to these classes. I mean, these are people that have been Methodists for years and years and years. They would come to his class, and after studying Scripture, they would conclude they needed to do that immersion. And so he'd bring 15, 20 people every time and would baptize them. Some of them young, most of them very old, but they finally found in Scripture and understood what was being said. And so they were responding to it. Because, see, it doesn't mean that their faith wasn't good. It doesn't mean that they didn't come to a knowledge of Christ in the way that you and I do. It's just that there was a completion part of that process that hadn't happened yet. I found that most people balk at baptism because of one of three reasons. Number one, they've never been taught what the Bible has to say about it. Number two, they are afraid they will ruffle some feathers within their family. Or number three, deep down, they're just not really quite ready to make Jesus Lord of their life. And so they try to, they try to keep control and they don't want to completely surrender. And they'll say, well, what's the big deal about baptism anyway? Don't, do I have to do that? Some of you have exerted more energy in putting off baptism than you have in pursuing it or studying it and what it means. But today that could all change. It depends on you. It depends on you. Perhaps you came forward some time ago and made a decision, but you didn't follow through on baptism. Perhaps it was because of fear, your faith tradition, or your upbringing that you balked at baptism. Maybe you bristled at immersion because you worried about what the family would think. And, and I can appreciate your sensitivity. But if the Bible commands you to do something and Jesus tells you to do something, I think your family will understand if you make that decision. As much as Satan would like for baptism to be a barrier, instead today baptism can be a benchmark in your life that you will never forget. In Acts twenty-two sixteen, 16, Ananias is talking to Saul who eventually became the Apostle Paul and, he, and he's talking to him. He's blinded on the road to Damascus and here's what he says in verse 16 of Acts 22. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Do you want to be baptized? Do you have to be baptized? It's literally impossible to look at the Bible and honestly say baptism isn't important. In Acts 8, where it says Philip preached Christ to him. In the New International Version, it also says that he told him the good news about Jesus. And look what happens in the very next verse, in verse 36 and 37. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, and you may. And the official order answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So, and when he talked, preached unto him Jesus, in verse 35, the very next verse, they saw water. He said, what stops me from doing it? He said, if you're ready to go, we'll go. So they stopped, and he says, they went down into the water, he baptized the eunuch. And when they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away and the eunuch went on his way rejoicing because there was an inner change in him. He had a burden lifted in him. And I find it interesting that evidently when, Peter, when Philip preached, that subject of baptism came up. Satan would love for you to try and turn this into a debate instead of a decision. I think it's a question of obedience and lordship more than anything. Baptism is one of God's greatest gifts to His children. It's clearly commanded in Scripture and was an important part of the conversion process in the early church. That alone should be sufficient reason to be baptized by immersion. But the issue, issue generally arises, though, when we actually, what actually occurs at the point of baptism is discussed. I had a, another question posed to me in, some time ago, and it, it says, at what point is a person saved in God's eyes? Well, let me ask you another question. When was I married in God's eyes? Because both are tough questions. Was I married when I got the marriage license? When I said I do in the wedding? 
Was it when the preacher said, I now pronounce you husband and wife? When we exchanged rings? Was it when we kissed? Was it when the, uh, we were introduced to the crowd as Mr. and Mrs. Harold Phillips? Was it when the marriage license was signed by the preacher? Or was it later that night when my wife and I physically consummated our marriage? At what point were we married in God's eyes? Well, I'm not really certain at what point. But I don't know if I could tell you that exact point. But here's what I can tell you. Because I was committing my whole life to Cindy. Nothing was going to deter me from being her husband. I was going to make that commitment. I was going to ward off any other women. I was not going to be enticed. And I wanted to be married to my wife. And so for 33 years we have enjoyed that relationship. Because I am totally sold out to her. Because she knows me front and back, up and down, inside and out. I can fool you some of the time. I can't fool her any of the time. wonder how that works, huh? But what it comes down to is whether or not He is the Lord of your life, and it shouldn't matter what He asks. It all comes down to submission. And when it comes to baptism, believe me, we don't want to overemphasize the teaching, but we don't want to minimize it either. Because sometimes in the Christian church, we get really the cart before the horse because we throw you in the water before we've ever got your heart ready. If you don't get your heart ready to repent and make changes, then what good is the water going to do you? We've got to get you ready for the baptism. And you do that by study and prayer and time. Don't rush. Don't rush. But study. Earnestly study. And I am ready at any point to sit down with any of you and do it. You just let me know. Jesus Himself, the best reason of all to be baptized by immersion is that Jesus Himself was baptized in the Jordan River. In Matthew chapter 3, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter Him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to Me? Jesus replied, Let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened up, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on Him, and a voice from heaven saying, This is My Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. At the beginning of the message, when I said there were, really, there were only two reasons to be baptized, Jesus did it, and Jesus told us to do it. Maybe we need to add a third, and that is, And the Father will be pleased. And the Father will be pleased. This is our common identity. Baptism. Jesus wanted you to surrender yourself to take on His identity. Baptism is a gift from God. God wants us to experience Him completely with our entire being. We receive His love and His grace when the Word or Gospel message penetrates our hearts. And we also experience God's grace with our minds as they are transformed and renewed. God is not satisfied with that. However, He wants us to experience Him completely. Father, I ask you this morning as we prepare to sing our hymn of invitation that you would become real to each person here. Father, our faith knowledge is different in each person. We have been raised in certain ways to believe certain things. But God, the most important thing we need to do is be raised to believe what your word teaches us. And so God, I pray today that uh, no one has been offended by what was said. 
And Father, that everyone knows in this room how much I love them and care for them. And I am not sitting in judgment on any person. But Father, one thing I know I have to do because of what you teach me in James chapter 3, that as a teacher, I have to give thorough information. Because you tell me in James chapter 3 that I will be judged more severely if I don't give them the full answer. So God, I'm trying to do my best to do that. And I want to thank you for this time this morning that we've taken an opportunity to examine a beautiful experience in every believer's life. And all you ask us to do is just surrender to you. Because our tendency is to want to run the show. Our tendency is to want to be in charge. And it's in humbling ourselves, it's in surrendering ourselves that you get the most glory. So Father, if there's somebody here today that says, Preacher, I really need to study about that, would you come by and let's study about it? Hey, I'm ready. Maybe there's somebody that's been wrestling with that decision. They know they need to, they just have been putting it off. Would they come today? God, I don't know what need is prevalent in the lives of every person here, but you do. So would you move in them? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.